your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome to Rutgers Week on Off Tackle Empire. It's a week you've all been waiting for. That's probably not true, but you're going to listen to it anyway. Or you won't, because, you know, it's easy to stop listening. But we're back here, and we're, it's Rutgers Week. Yep, so we are here to get into the gers. And when we talk about okay. Rutgers in 2017, one thing jumps out at you, and that's, they're, they're, they're Rutgers. But then, once you look past it, they're Rutgers. Just... They, they were less Rutgers in 2017 than they had been in the last couple of years before that, meaning that they there were some signs of progress, but mostly just against other teams that were also very bad. Uh, and then against like good to, to great teams, they continue to look like they did not belong on the same field. Their offense looked functional in exactly one conference game, of course. Three guesses. Yeah. All right. But anyway, the offense was just brutal, and the, the defense did its job to keep the team in games and, keep, you know, frustrate, you know, what were clearly far superior teams, keep the scores close, the give them a fighting game, chance. Yeah, the Penn State game comes to mind on that front. Towards the end of the season, you could tell there, there were a few games in which the defense kind of folded the tents a little bit early as well. Uh, but, you, again, that's not to be... That's not a surprise, really. Um, the real problem for Rutgers from a season-long perspective is that they dropped a Week 2 game to Eastern Michigan and became the first Big Ten team to do so, I believe, in literally 50 tries. Like I think Eastern Michigan was something like 0-49 against the Big Ten before that game. Congratulations, Rutgers. You just gave the Rutgers of the MAC its first win against the Big Ten in Week 2 after a decent effort, but a losing effort, in Washington to open the week. Um, so they were a bit behind the eight ball in terms of making a bowl game after that. That Eastern Michigan game was one they really had to have. And then if they had had that later on in the season, they would have been playing for something, for example, when they went to Indiana second to last week of the season and got whitewashed. They, they, they did a very respectable job on defense against Washington in the opener. Remember that being a, a close game in the first half, uh, largely due to the efforts of the, the defense and especially against the pass. And they, of course, ha- had Nebraska just about on the ropes uh, in the second half. Uh, before Maybe Nebraska pulled away. It must have been Nebraska I was thinking of. For some reason, I thought that they had given Penn State a fight. No, no, no. Yeah, because I'm looking back at the recap of this, and it did take Penn State a while to find their footing. The final score of that game would not have indicated that, but it was closer than it seemed. They had the Purdue game. The Rutgers-Purdue game was one of the weirdest games of the conference season last year. I still don't really know how Jeff Brom, with his offense being what it was, managed to score 12 points against against Rutgers. But well, they, it it helps, to, it helps to throw two interceptions. I guess, but like to... <laughs> still. In well, Rutgers case. isn't going to give you the ball back a lot because they don't really... They weren't really taking a lot of risks on offense last year. Uh, no. Their offense was kind of uh, two yards in a cloud of dust, which of course doesn't get you a first down ever. <laughs> no, but it does allow you to eat, you know, three to four minutes of clock on every possession at a minimum. So, it, yeah, the, the passing game went from bad to kind of just not there really they they ended up using three quarterbacks over the course of the season um, they started with Kyle Boland a former Louisville transfer they went to Gio Rossino for a little while and he at least could throw the ball downfield but it generally wasn't all that effective and then they took the wrapper off of Jonathan Lewis <clears throat> down the stretch and uh, again he didn't you know if if you want to look at his passing numbers as reason for hope for the future uh, you shouldn't do that because you won't find any 
Um, and that, you know, honestly, that is why it seems as though Rutgers fans think they've got the recruit of a lifetime in Archer Sitkowski, former New Jersey kid, now by way of the IMG Academy. Um, his story has been much discussed in that he ended up getting benched his senior year for a guy who's now walking on for none other than the chief um, oarsman at Minnesota, PJ Flex. So whether that recruit is quite the item on paper that he once appeared to be, I guess we'll see. Rutgers fans are still plenty happy to have him, but remember, you, you played a true freshman last year at quarterback. You also have a returning senior who has some game experience. You might want to see what he can do right now, but if you want your program to be better in the long term, you need to keep the kid on the bench. You need to keep him lifting weights and reading playbooks and stuff um, and getting the crap beaten out of him by the scout team so they can you know build character and, and whatever. Yeah, especially you know with the offensive coordinator position being as kind of a a revolving door as it's been uh they've got in a guy that had been a quarterbacks coach under greg Schiano that uh it sounds like is uh, what you might call a lifer for the program and if they want to establish some consistency then it would behoove them to uh redshirt their formerly four-star uh incoming freshman they have a couple of incoming quarterback recruits actually like i said sikowski is the guy that everyone seems to be excited about uh, but Jalen Chapman out of California is a dual threat guy that could be interesting as well. But again, if you never take the time to develop these guys, you're never going to see what they could have been for as long a period as you might have had them. Um, we'll go into the rest of the recruiting a little more depth in a second. But yeah, if you think, for example, about what Gio Rossino is dealing with right now, he's a fifth-year senior who will now be on his fourth quarter, uh, fourth quarterbacks coach, fourth offensive coordinator in as many years because there was a coaching change um, before his redshirt freshman season, and now Ash has had new offensive coordinators in each of his first three seasons. That's not how you get a guy to learn the offense. And obviously quarterback is the best example of that. But think of all the offensive line who are learning new blocking schemes and run combinations. Think of all the receivers who are learning different route trees and different playbooks. So uh, it, it's easy to understand then why Rutgers offense has been such a dysfunctional mess the last few years is because they can't figure out what they're doing. They change it every year. And granted, if it's not working, it's easy to hit the panic button when you feel like the clock is running on your tenure and say, we got to do something different. We got to find something that works. But part of the reason it doesn't work is because you're not letting it. You got to let it sit sometimes. It's not, you don't always get instant success, especially when you're in as big of a hole from a talent standpoint as Rutgers is. And it was perhaps folly of Chris Ash to hope that Jerry kill could be a real long-term solution you know in an unfamiliar environment where he doesn't really have as much control as he would have liked yeah and i don't know if we want to get too deep into that because well that was as diplomatically as i could put it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we uh i think most people who follow that storyline are familiar with what happened there i think that's about all we need to say about it and yeah honestly i think about all we need to address with it for this episode is that Ash really should have known better. But the quarterback situation is such a big unknown that we didn't even consider uh, Paul Del Vecchio, who uh, comes in as also a dual threat, uh, undersized at 5'10", but definitely has, you know, not only the talent of being a club guy, but also being a DJ. So, uh, and he claims to be of 100% Italian descent. That was the big write-up of him on 24-7. We'll, we'll see if, uh, if Pauly D can come in and contribute right away, or if he's going to take a redshirt year to, to learn the system or what. 
And in case anyone accuses us of living in the past, um, no you, because they're rebooting that program. So now we actually are right back on the cutting edge. So maybe you're the one who needs to get hip uh, with what the kids are watching on the MTVs, all right? Elsewhere on the offense, there's going to be transition um, in the backfield, which has really been the point of strength for this team for the last few years. Um, they had good success with Gus Edwards last year as a transfer, but he and Josh Hicks and Robert Martin are all gone now. So they're going to be using a new combination of guys. They've got a number of candidates they could use there. Really the guy who I thought was a potential game breaker for them, at least in flashes last year, was Raheem Blackshear. Now maybe he's a guy who is better off just getting a handful of touches a game so that you don't get him banged up. He's not, he doesn't exactly have the profile of a between the tackles banger the way that Edwards or Martin or Hicks did, but he's definitely a guy that you need to get the ball to in various ways. If you want to use him kind of the way you used to use Janarian Grant, rest in peace um, to his bones and joints, uh, then that would be sensible, but you got to find a way to get this guy the ball because he's the only one I recall seeing in a Rutgers game last year where I thought, oh, he's interesting. I kind of wish he played for my team. He, he's the only one, the only one, give him the ball. And then across the rest of the offense, um, the tight end was not heavily featured last year. They have guys who are just names on a depth chart because, again, I couldn't tell you yeah, I, I couldn't think of a play that any of them made that stood out in my mind. Uh, and also an extremely young receiving group. Now, there may be some value in bringing the whole group back because you might have the continuity, but this gets back to what we mentioned earlier. They have to learn a whole new offense. So even though, yes, you have everybody back, the value of that is probably going to be reduced somewhat because you have an unsettled quarterback situation. You have a new playbook to learn. You have a new staff to get familiar with. So the guys will at least know, you know, where to find the weight room and, and all that. But but in terms of continuity from one year to the next, you're not going to get the same benefit to having an intact receiving core that you normally would. Ah, okay. I finally did just track down something uh, that running back coach, uh, former running backs coach Jafar Williams left for Maryland. In another example of this uh, whole thing with the coaching turnover, uh, when asked for comment, of course, Maryland being his alma mater, uh, he had Jafar Williams had this to say: "Patience, I'll go patience." We will see if he does in fact preach this kind of patience to his running backs at Maryland, but for now, you have to just see what's going to come out of this notably crowded Rutgers backfield. Uh, like I said, Blackshear was good enough that he did in fact see carries. And I'm looking at the offensive line. Tariq Cole is a name that some people might remember. There's been chatter about him the last couple of years as a possible all-conference type. Would he even stay for a senior season, potentially go for the NFL draft? Um, I think some of that chatter has kind of been overblown. He's certainly Rutgers' best offensive lineman, but... Again, recalling what Rutgers football I watched last year, it, it's not like the guy jumped off the page, um, so to speak. So he's certainly the anchor of the unit. He's got the most experience by far. And they have a decent amount of experience overall. But aside from Cole, uh, nobody who's really going to be an obvious difference maker. So we'll see how that group goes. They've recruited well enough there. Um, certainly not as well as most of the rest of the division. But uh, it, it, it's been a functional run game, at least recently. Recently, so you'd expect they'd be able to carry that forward with a decent amount of returning experience. A lot of new offensive coordinators in this uh, part of the mushy middle, if you will. So the defense, which is Chris Ash's calling card, and really why, uh, you know, again, a big reason that they were able to win three entire conference games last year, I think will make some improvements this year because only because the roster will be a little bit more complete. Yeah, so they'll have, first of all, I mean, we can kind of start from back to front because the secondary should be very good. They're returning 
considering most of what they played with last year, Zane, Cam- or Zane Campbell is really the only guy who's leaving that played. And they played a lot of guys because not only were they going to be a young group anyway, but they had a bunch of injuries. So they should have most of their group back. What's going to be an interesting decision for them and for the guy I'm about to talk about is that Juwan Harris ended up being probably their best defensive back last year, certainly their most impactful. Um, he was also their, one of their better receivers for much of the year, and he's one of the best players on their baseball team. So he may have a decision to make about whether he even wants to continue with football, because there could be a very lucrative baseball future awaiting him, uh, where his brains are less likely to be scrambled by playing the game. So it'll be very interesting to see um, what he ends up doing. I, I'm always fascinated by guys like that who legitimately have that kind of choice. I think I just read something that um, Kyler Murray who's projected to be Oklahoma's starting quarterback could be as high as a second round pick in the baseball draft this year and that if that is a possibility maybe Oklahoma's starting quarterback just evaporates into thin air overnight. Rutgers' whole thing last year was that they were a lot better than people gave them credit for for two reasons. One, their offense never really did anything cohesive uh, so you always kind of thought that it was because other teams couldn't stop tripping over their dicks. Well, you know, that's the kind of thing that you force when you play good defense uh, limit the amount of yards that they can get but uh, the other reason is that everything that happened for the rest of the season was colored by that eastern Michigan loss it was really it really cast them in such a bad light now to their credit they were able to rebound emotionally from what I thought had to be one of the toughest moments of anybody's season down 56 to nothing at home against Ohio State, <laughs> they line up to kick one of the saddest field goals of in college t- football history time. as time, time expires, and <laughs> and it hits the upright. Uh, so, well, they won three of their next four after that. I think I remember seeing somewhere on Twitter that somebody queued that up with Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background and, you know, like a slow motion, kick in slow motion, hitting off the uprights, like a zoom in of the ball hitting the upright and then, like, cut to Ash on the sideline just doing his droopy dog, defeated expression that we've seen from him all too many times. But with that three of four streak there, hey, now you can look back on that and laugh. Uh, on the other hand, some yeah. of their opponents, for some of their opponents that they defeated in that three, ga- three four game stretch, there is no laughter. Yeah, and even after they won a few conference games, it still felt like everyone they played, and especially the teams they beat, it, it, it's just like this incomprehensible, like hair-rending, teeth-gnashing fury that we lost to Rutgers. Well, you weren't alone last year. They beat a few teams that they maybe shouldn't have. Yeah, and of course, you know, the beginning of the season colored by that loss to Eastern Michigan, and they ended their season by losing 35-6, to 41 to nothing, and 40-7. to And part of that would have been the teams that they played down the stretch, um, although Indiana maybe not quite the same caliber of opponent as a road game at Penn State and then hosting Michigan State at the end of the year. Um, but they did have Indiana in in an unholy fury as we covered in the Indiana episode. Refer to our Indiana episode for further details on that. So, looking ahead to their uh, to their schedule, oh man. I got more stuff to say about the defense, man. Ah. We covered the secondary, but there there's a couple of interesting notes on the other levels of the defense. So, the defensive line should really be okay in terms of front unit. They've got a decent combination with Wilkins and Batecki up front. They're really going to need to find some depth, though, because 
because this is something that we see that really separates the best teams from the ones below them, which is the ability to continuously throw in more guys on the defensive line without a drop-off. Um, Rutgers was able to do that a little bit last year because they had probably five or six guys that they could play. This year, there may only be four um, that, that we know can reliably go on a down-and-down basis. So if they find any depth, their defensive line should be pretty good again. They also have kind of an interesting decision to make at linebacker because they have two multi-year starters coming back. But to be frank, they're just guys. Deontay Roberts and Trevor Morris do not have the athletic ceiling of some of the younger players coming in behind them. So there's a choice for the coaching staff to make about how much they want to lean with experience and security versus upside and potential. So that's probably more words about Rutgers than I'll say for the rest of the year. Um, we've done our due diligence. We treated you fairly. Do not whine to us anymore. Please, we're tired of your whining. Wailing and gnashing of teeth will commence fairly early next year for Rutgers because they've got a week two game at Ohio State. <laughs> yes, they do. I just... I, I guess, so I guess Ohio State now has a thing where... Let's just go... They just, they just go and stage public executions <laughs> in the beginning of the year to remind them, to remind everybody... Hey, we can still kick the shit out of Rutgers in Indiana. It's like showing up for the party at quarter after seven and taking an upper decker in the main bathroom right then. Like, let's just put, let's just leave no doubt as to how this is going to go for you right from the start. (laughs) How very Ohio State of them. Uh, So, yeah. Opening week against Texas State should be fine. Um, Oh, I'm intrigued (laughs) about the possibility of Rutgers getting a Power 5 road win at Kansas. I mean... God. Oh, Kansas football. Good Lord. Of course, Ruck, this is part of an ongoing... Uh, look, they had a home-and-home, and, home, and in the first game... The first game produced one of my favorite still images I've ever seen, where a Rutgers defensive back lined up a good three yards off sides. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could be a little off sides, but oh, man. Oh, man. Rutgers, Kansas. Why do we do this sometimes, man? But <laughs> if you want... We want Kansas, though. Illinois, we want Kansas. We have yeah. to go. We have them on the schedule in 23-24. I'm, uh, I'm looking at Rutgers' schedule, and the site has ticket prices listed. At Ohio State, the tickets are starting for $137 um, at the moment. But as, in terms of their home games, um, there's only two that are over 100. And those That's Michigan and Penn State, because your stadium's going to be full of another team's fans. But other than that, let's see. None of these other home games will set you back more than more than $17. In fact, at Wisconsin is the only other one that's more than 20 at all. Um, so you, you can, I mean, for the cost of what, like a very expensive cooler, you could see all of Rutgers games outside of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. And why would you want to see any of those games anyway? That's a, that's a lot of money to spend on a ticket to a snuff film. But in actually looking at their schedule, they have a possibility of going 3-0 and in the non-conference because... Uh, Texas State is a, a, a middling mid-major. Yeah. Um, Buffalo is about a what about a 500 MAC team. I mean, Lance Leopold is in what going into his third year or something. But yeah, he hasn't he hasn't quite taken Buffalo where I think some people hoped he would coming up from a lower division. But there's always some risk in making that transition. But of course, there's precedent for Rutgers to absolutely shit all over themselves against a middling to bad MAC team early in the year. Yeah, I think calling Eastern Michigan middling to bad is, is a bit generous to the. 
to the Eagles of the of the Great Field in Ypsilanti, but the stretch in the middle of the schedule is going to be critical for Rutgers, all right? So after that, what is likely to be a bloodletting week two, they should be sitting at one and one, yes? And then after that, the stretch goes at Kansas, and then three home games in a row, Buffalo, Indiana, Illinois, followed by a road game to Maryland, and then down the stretch, they host Northwestern, they go to Wisconsin, they host Michigan and Penn State, and they go to Michigan State. Those last five games, it's very difficult to see Rutgers pulling off a win in any of them. Um, so those five games towards the beginning of the schedule, Kansas through Maryland, um, that's going to be vital for the overall health of Rutgers season. So basically best case scenario. They could be 6-2 and two going into that Northwestern game. That's entirely possible. No, they could be 6-1 and one going into that game. Oh yeah. One wonders if they would be also receiving votes at that point. I don't wonder that. I, I don't think. I don't think there would be. I think. Well, if they. If they lest win. you forget, number fifteen Illinois back before the six game slide that led to the Zucker's departure. Yeah, but you. I mean, there had been a Rose Bowl appearance in the near past. At that point, you were six and zero. Oh. Um, you know, six and zero looks a lot different than six and one, where the one is just getting your head lopped off by Ohio State. So that's a quality loss. That's the kind of loss that the kind of uh, loss other teams that gets don't you, have. That's the kind of loss that gets you into the playoff. That's the kind of loss that gets you jumped over Ohio State because Ohio State doesn't have a loss that good. <laughs> that is true. Unless you, I wonder if you, I wonder if Ohio State could uh, count their spring game as a as a, as loss. a loss to Ohio State <laughs> and a win over Ohio State. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, getting back to Rutgers, uh, yeah, that's this this has the <laughs> potential to be make or break for. Uh, I mean, not make or break for the Chris Ash regime because they started from a very very low place when he took over. They had, I guess, yeah, much much like Illinois with Lovey Smith. Actually, they had administrative turmoil, embarrass, you know, public embarrassment. They had. Kyle Flood, like one of the worst cheaters, uh, not 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 in that he cheated, uh, you know, he cheated to a great extent, but that he was so bad was, at yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not saying he's like an egregiously severe offender. It's just that he was really bad at the act of cheating, which we assume I think most coaches do in one way or another. But it, it man, you, you left a text on, I believe, a university issued phone, public document, man. Don't they give? Don't they give you a course? Isn't there? A, isn't there a handout that they give you? Like this is the stuff that people can get just by asking. How to bagman? But anyway, my point being that Rutgers started from absolutely nothing in the started wake of the Kyle Started from the bottom, now they're here. Yeah, which to be fair is not the very bottom. So this might not necessarily be a referendum. These, uh, you know, this first stretch of seven games might not necessarily be a referendum on whether or not the Chris Asher will succeed, but it's certainly one where he's got an opportunity to make a big statement because if they can if they can win six games by about the halfway point of the season, then even if, you know, even in the very likely case that uh, those last five games are just like, uh, you know, just an inferno of misery, then you'll still be able to, to say, well, look, we went out and beat teams that we should have beaten and we can confidently say that well, as a program, we're above someone. And the other thing is, if if they get to, first of all, if they get to bowl eligibility, I think that's got to be viewed a wild success regardless of how the season ends. But if you get through that Maryland game and you find yourself at 6-1, and one, do you not view these last five games somewhat differently if you are a Rutgers fan or a neutral observer? If you're Northwestern and you see 6-1 and one Rutgers now coming in, regardless of how your season's gone at that point, 
are you not a little bit more worried about them? Well, if you're Northwestern, if you're Northwestern at that point, then you already have one like terrible and head scratching loss that you're concerned about. Probably the Duke. Probably. So yeah, you 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 probably are pretty concerned to see that coming up on your schedule. Uh, That being said. I don't think that Rutgers does this. I don't think that... Uh, no, I don't think so either. That, that um, situation. I think you know, that's too optimistic. Whether it's, you know, whether it's tripping in one of those non-conference games that they shouldn't, um, I, th- I think there's a possibility Maryland is substantially improved this year. Um, I'm down a bit on Indiana, but I wouldn't even rule out Illinois being able to pull something off there. They weren't terribly far away last year. I think it was a one-score game. And, yeah, it was not as close as the game indicated. But we had Jeff George throwing, you know, we had Jeff George uh, just, just playing, I don't know, just doing things while Garrick McGee was out there playing like Clash of Clans on the sideline or something instead of offensive coordinating. So, so, yeah, I expect Illinois to be a more complete team. That could, you know, that affects their matchup at Rutgers. Um, and, of course, you know, Indiana, yeah, maybe worse, but, you know, worse than a team that beat you 41 to nothing. Yeah, so I don't know if I think it's fair to expect bowl eligibility. Well, it may be fair to expect that. I don't think it's reasonable. I think based on where they were last year, where they're likely to be this year, five wins is probably probably about what you're looking at. Um, you certainly want more than that if you're a Rutgers fan, but lots of people want lots of things, man. I mean, you can't possibly entertain the idea of burning it down unless you lose to Kansas and lose all your conference games. I mean... <laughs> sure, yeah. If yeah. They, so you're saying if they go 1-11, do they think about firing the coach? Yeah, I think that would probably cause them to re-examine some things. But, you know, likewise, if, if they win a couple of these games in November, if they if they, if they beat Northwestern or something, um, if they get to 8 or 9 wins, then that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the sleeping giant has awoken and they're actually it just means that weird stuff happens um so yeah even if they win two or three games instead of the five or so that we think is reasonable that doesn't mean that the whole thing needs to be torn out by the roots it's you just gotta look at where they're going and where they should have been given what happened in the course of a given season i'm personally seeing this as a four win season for for rutgers i will be very surprised if they get to a bowl game um there's just too much uh, there's just too much turmoil uh, still, because of the offensive turnover, the mishmash at quarterback, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not seeing a bowl. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle empire.